I believe that 99% of the battle for Christians is to actually determine what is worth fighting for. Because there are so many battles that we think are worthy of our time and energy and all of our strength and our greatest intelligence. And I hope that rings true to you because a lot of you are fighting about stupid things in life in general. I mean, you fight at work with your employees or your boss. You fight at home with your wife. You fight with your kids. You fight. And, and, and when you look at all of those situations, you have to ask yourself, what am I fighting about? What am I fighting for? There are essentials to life, and then there are non-essentials. And the essentials are few in God's economy. The essentials for your life are, are very few in God's economy. I think as we continue this series on um, the life of Paul, as pastor's been preaching, we move from Acts 14 into chapter 15, and we have to actually approach this chapter and think, what is Paul fighting for? Now I want to start in chapter 14 to give you a little bit of a um, background to it. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, which is where they were first called Christians, as Pastor has said. That's Antioch in Syria, just below Turkey, what is now modern-day Turkey, what was then Galatia, where the Galatians are, um, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed on arriving there. They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. In the moment, if, if you look at this, in the moment that there's great praise for what God has actually just done in many people's lives, this is after Peter gets the revelation from heaven and the, the, the sheet or the, the blanket comes down with all the animals and God says, go to the Gentiles, I'm opening the door. And they come back and they're, they're, Paul is specifically commissioned for this ministry to the Gentiles, us. How many of you in here are Jews? I think, I think we, a lot of times we take for granted what the New Testament is, is preaching. We're trying to dig deeper for something. We should just stop at face value and say, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't know Jesus and I'd be going to hell. If, if Paul wasn't converted miraculously from being a Christian murderer to being a person that loved and wanted to reach Christians, I would not be saved today. Nick Skippers would not be saved. If the same type of transformation from total darkness to total light did not still happen in this day here in America, I would be totally lost and probably would have been dead about eight years ago when I got sober. It's only because of the power of Jesus. So what's worth fighting for? What is really worth fighting for? 
Stephen Furtick says, I will fight. What are you fighting for? I know people in this church. I know most of you. Maybe not in close friendships, but I know most of you and a lot of you are fighting with relatives and you're fighting with your kids and you're fighting with your, your parents and you're, you're fighting with your spouse and you're, you're fighting on, online. I mean, come on. Look, just take a look at Facebook and, and you tell me, take your assessment and tell me if Christians are really being effective. Are we? It's so hideous. It's ridiculous. It's appalling the way we approach. And even for me, I preach only from personal conviction because otherwise it's not going to hit you. If I'm trying to preach something that I can't actually be convicted by or practice in my own life, it's not going to have any impact on your heart. Worship actually cleanses the arteries of the heart. It cuts away. So here, they're talking about circumcision, and I go back to this verse, because this is really the driving force of what they're trying to do. Paul is traveling with Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. Now, I tell you what, if I'm going to be traveling where I get stoned almost to death, or some people believe to death, as Pastor has said, and I, I get thrown out of cities, and I got to run for my life every, around every corner, I want a son of encouragement, right? I don't want like a man, that was rough. We better not do that again. No, if I want somebody who knows what I'm commissioned for. And a lot of you are running a race with somebody who's just not even in shape for the race you're running. A lot of you, you didn't think about it before you got married and you married a, a very slow, whiny, complaining, my knee hurts. They don't want to run the race that Paul is running. A lot of you surround yourselves with the wrong people. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, and the word of this truth that they thought was truth and had to be applied to Christians or people that were Gentiles, they were saying that you must be circumcised. Now, a lot of times we just read that like that doesn't mean anything. So I come in here, and let's say you're not circumcised, and I come in as a Jew and say, everybody line up. Pastor Gary's got some sharp knives. <laughs> Danny's going to help him. He's got, he's, got, he's got Kevin Miller's staple gun and nail gun. Stitch it back up. And a bunch of grown men. You just file behind the screen. There's plenty of space back there. And holy cow. You know, I was reading about this, and I thought, where did this even start? Why would the Pharisees come forward and try to put such a condition on salvation? Because it was, there were Pharisees, and then there were also people who were Jews that had claimed to be Christians, and some of them actually were, but they were of the belief that you still have to follow all of the Mosaic law in order to be a child of God. And it's incredible how we do this today. I want to make this point, we do this today. You have your little pet peeves, and you literally are scaring all of the people my age and younger away from the church because of all your stupid pet peeves. 
It's like we could literally be ministering to a 20-year-old kid who's been smoking pot and taking, using over-the-counter drugs and just doing everything and having sex and just the, the person that's farthest away and the hardest to reach for God because they're in a moment of desperation and their walls are 20 miles high, but we've been working to take those walls down. And the old stuck-in-the-mud Pharisee is going to come and you keep smoking those cigarettes, you're going to be burning in hell, sonny boy, and they are gone. I'm telling you that you need to be willing to change and you need to be willing to compromise what you think are emphatic things that really do not matter. Salvation is what matters, right? You want to see your grandchildren, you want to see your children, you want to see your your grandchildren's children come to know Jesus Christ in the third, fourth, fifth generation, then you should be that person that they see does not care about all the petty, stupid, cultural, traditional Christian things in our culture, and you literally care about the, the condition of their soul and the future of their life, no matter what kind of music you catch, catch them listening to. You can't make that the major problem. Did you get that? So many people are focused, like the Pharisees, on, well, circumcision. Well, you could call that baptism. You could say, well, it can't, you can't, you ever listen to secular music? You know that there's, there's, a judge, there's a judging we need to do. The first judging we need to do is say, is this person really born again or not? If a person's born again and they're listening to, to, to that two-pack shaker, I tell you what, if, if, they're, if they're really born again and they got it cranked, man, just F the world, we should say, hey, you've made this commitment and you want to glorify God, do you not? But if people are not saved, here's the problem. Most people in our culture are not saved. Stop making bad assumptions. Even people who've gone to church for their whole lives, don't make a bad assumption. Proselytization is what's happening here. We're no different. They're literally saying you have to come up and get a circumcision. And it all started in Genesis 17. I want to take you there. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or brought with your money, bought with your money. They must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so what people didn't understand is that God actually changes things. Because when you read that, you think, well, I'm not circumcised. I don't want to be cut off. And there's this incredible tension because circumcision was not just an Israelite thing. If you went to Greece in that day, or you even went to people that were Hellenistic, meaning they picked up all the cultural and lifestyle things of Greece or the Greek people, they were Greek in nature. Greek was the language. It became the overwhelming language. Those people were appalled at the idea of circumcision. 
And so these Greek people and these Hellenistic people that did not practice circumcision, they were, they were having this circumcision thing forced down their throat when all of their cultural things say that you do not get circumcised. And so Paul and Barnabas come to say, you're missing the boat. Some of you are missing the boat. You're missing the boat with people. Ultimately, you know what I want? And you know what you want? Love. Love. I went to my um, second to oldest brother. I have two brothers, two sisters. Uh, He turned 40 in August, and so we had a late party for him. And there was barbecue and beans and, you know, your typical kind of country party outside. It was an amazing night last night. Fall is the best time of the year. I don't care what anybody says. And so we go to the party, and, you know, I know every single person there. And Lexi's always kind of like, uh-oh, because it's all my brother's friends and my my other brother's friends, and they're all, and then their wives, and I know them all. I don't remember all their names, but there's probably 40, 50 people there. And she's like, don't you dare go stand in that circle with those guys and leave me all by myself. Because she'll end up, like, spotting my mom and walking just <laughs> Hi, Dar. Like, because that's the comfort zone. But we were leaving, and uh, we were doing an analysis of hugs. Yeah. Did you ever do an analysis of hugs in different families? Hugs. Like, this is, and I love my dad to death, and, and he loves me and would die for me. It's just the expression of love is not the same that I experience with my friends or with Pastor Gary and, and with other people that are there that give you a hug. Like, and I wanted to give my brother a hug even though we don't hug very often. It's not like on Monday at work, yeah, good job laying pipe. Oh, love you, bro. <laughs> 30 construction workers are like, these guys are rough, you know, they're smoking all day and just, so we're, we're hugging and getting ready to leave and I, I hug my mom and um, my dad, I don't know where my dad was, we, I don't, I don't think I hugged my dad. We walked away and then I went up and I gave my brother Jamie a side hug and said, see you bro, love you. And then I wanted to find Kurt, who was the brother who had a birthday and so I'm searching for him and anyways, long story short, we get in the car and Lexi's like, what is wrong with they're hugs. They, somebody needs to teach them how to hug. Like, it's always like, she says, I get ready to like, I'm going to give you a whole side hug. Like, stiff as a two by six. You always feel like you're hugging a board. Like, hey there, stud wall. Been building stud walls all week at the church. You just feel like, hey there, oh, got a nail sticking out. It's all rigid. It's like, we need, we need to break that down in our, in our culture. Because you know what? We create, you personally create your own culture at work, at home. You create a culture of love by thinking positively and thinking the best in people. That's what Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 says. We, we use that, those verses for, for weddings because it's a moment of love. But then people have been married for six years. I don't know where, I don't know where Bob is. <laughs> nah, I shouldn't have said Bob. There's too many Bobs in this church. I don't know where Ralph is. He's probably out in the back 40 shooting bucks. But I don't know. He's been out there for 17 hours. Maybe I should check on him, but we usually don't talk much during the week. It's like people are so separated, and we don't understand that. That contributes to the church and the church growth. It thwarts the church growth. 
Paul was trying to build a community of love, and you can't build a community of love and acceptance when you're looking at all the small details of someone's life. And I remember we were um, working on the building two weeks ago, and I was inside the auditorium saw cutting the floor, and the door was open, um, and I had to walk out to one of my dad's cranes was there because they put in some pipe there. Uh, my brother helped us put in some pipe. And so there was a string in there, and I had to grab a string and mark a line. Long story short, I go out there, and there's two girls walking. They look like they're maybe in their 30s in their pajamas. And, and the one lady goes, what's this place all about? I'm like, well, that's rather vague. It's black. No, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. It's, it's a church. And she's like, what, what kind of? I was like, it's, not, it's non-denominal Dominational church. Yes. She goes, yes. And I'm like, wow, that was exciting. And then I was like, okay. Most people are like, oh, okay. But you, you're the, you're that church. We, we, we've heard about you. Black church. Yeah. <laughs> Black churches matter. And so long story short, she's like, that's cool. What else about your church? I'm like, we're really into the arts, drama, dance, music. Our preaching is really like powerful and, and relevant and it's not outdated and we believe in the power of God to change lives. And then, and then she goes, what do you think about gays? And then she looks over at her friend and I'm like, caught me off guard. I didn't think, I'm like, gays, we do accept, we want gays to come and worship with us. Now, you might not agree with everything we preach, but we want you to know the love of Christ, right? Whereas, I know a lot of people would be like, well, I mean, being gay is not right. They would have handled that so terribly, there'd be no chance for the love of Christ to enter their life. We need to be sensitive to where people are at. Circumcision was not just an Israelite thing. It actually started with the Egyptians way back the line. And what they would do is circumcise young men in, in their either adolescents or teenage, teenagers in mass groups. And there's actually depictions of this on, on walls in, you know, in their um, actual architecture, their, their whatever, whatever you call them, the pyramids and places like that. And there would actually be up to 120 teenage guys would come into a room and a bunch of guys would come in with, with flint stones because they didn't have knives, metal knives back then. And they'd just start going to town and they said 50% of the guys would just pass out on the floor. And it, it, was, it was like, I was thinking, well, what, what is so special about this? Because God said you must be circumcised as a sign of the covenant I have with you. I'm thinking, as a sign? As a sign to who? To you? I mean, if, if you were uncircumcised, who in the church would know besides your wife? Like, you get what I'm saying? It's not like you just are taking a leak in an open field. I'm like, who's this assigned to? Have you ever thought about that? It's not just assigned to other people because it's not common for people just to run around naked, right? It's assigned to you. So what does the sign even mean? Because here's where we got to transfer and understand what the scripture's even saying. The sign means it's a cutting away of what does not belong in your relationship with God. It's a cutting away of flesh. It hurts, it was probably most meaningful for two situations with two people. Abraham, number one, he was like 99 years old. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> I haven't even walked up a mountain lately. You got it. You expected me to, God, I like, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I hardly use it anyway. 
why do I got to change it now? It's fine. Like, <laughs> God's like, you'll do this. And, and so it meant so much to Abraham because he, every other person that I read in scripture, they had somebody else do it. So they're like biting on a towel and holding their mom's arm. Like, yeah! Abraham's like, oh, I got this rock. It's just me and this rock out in the wilderness. Here we go. We're going to surprise you didn't pass out. And then he had to do it to his son and to, to every child eight days old. The Edomites actually practiced it. The Ammonites practiced it. Many of the people that lived around them practiced it. It wasn't just a sign to say, hey, we're the best. We're God's people. No, it was a sign to you that you, this is not going to be a part of my life. And so some of you, you have, and I'm not trying to be gross. I'm not talking about down there. I'm talking about in your heart, in your life. You have so much extra flesh and carnality. I literally wrote this at the top of my message. I was studying last night. I actually said this to myself. And this is just straightforward honesty. I wish I walked in the Spirit more often. It made me want to cry. I'm like, I just thought I really wish I walked in the Spirit more often. I was telling Lexi on the way home, I said, I didn't even mention this to you because it, it, was, it was back and forth for a couple days. Um, Monday I was working, and, and I don't say this as like putting my brother down. My oldest brother, it, things have changed to where over the last several years, I hardly ever hear my brothers and my dad cuss for any reason. They've changed, and I think a lot of that is I'm there, either either it's just I'm there or they've seen that I don't, because it used to be, this is how I'm, 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 I'm rambling here. It used to be I'm working with my brother, 18 years old, and he gets mad at me and cusses, and I cuss back, and he cusses back, and I cuss back, and then I get mad and throw something at the crane, and then I walk away, and then I come back five minutes later. Now it's, there's no reason to cuss at me. I'm going to do my best. I respect you. I love you. You're my brother. We don't need to cuss. There's no need for cussing, and so Monday... I don't even know what the deal was. Like, he was frustrated. I haven't heard him cussing, like, probably two years. And he, he cussed in the morning, just dropped an F-bomb. I'm like, that was so weird, and there's really no purpose for it. Like, I'm thinking, not that there ever is, but for, for like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't a fast-paced day. There wasn't great anxiety. And at, later in the day, he said something, something else, and I'm just like, what's going on? All day I'm having a great day because Sunday was powerful, Sunday night was powerful. I'm walking in the spirit. I'm praying to God all day. It's more of a low-key day at work. And I literally got done at the end of the day, and I said, I'm not starting my car until I just say something to my brother. Because we've talked before about how we want to be more honoring to God. When we work, he's even said, we really should just meet on Monday mornings. If you're going to work, it should be you, me, Dad, and Kurt. And we should meet on Monday mornings, and we should pray that God will bless the week and that we can actually act like Christ when we're working. And I remember talking to him about that this winter, and, and it hasn't happened because it's just always so busy, and that's how it goes in our lives. And so I sent him a text, and I just said, I really am not trying to be a hypocrite. I'm not trying to act like I'm King Kong. I'm your younger brother. I look up to you in many ways, but I just don't understand why did you need to cuss today when I know that you care about glorifying God and Christ. No response. <laughs> because you know what? Big, it's, big, it's hard for big brother to hear from little brother. Because <laughs> I'm just little brother. <laughs> 
No response. And then I sent another text. I really want you to know I'm not trying to act like I'm your dad or something. I know that you're my big brother and I care about you, but what I'm saying is that you and I need to encourage one another and, and lift each other up and we need to speak blessing and love and we need to, we need to not, and, and you could say, well, that's caring about circumcision. No, because he says he believes in Christ and he wants to live for Christ and he's told me he wants his life to change, to be more glorifying to Christ. And when you know someone has that desire and they tell you, please help me and I'll help you, you better do it or you're not being Christ. You better do it or you're not being Paul. You know what I thought of when I read this text? They, they, these men come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. You must be circumcised or you cannot be saved. You know what I picture Paul thinking? I am going to kill those guys. You think it's always like Paul's like rosy cheeks. It's, guys, let's take a trip and just talk to them. Let's just talk it out. No, he's pissed. How dare you? You know sometimes there's a righteous anger that shepherds should actually have toward their flock. There are these immature little baby infant Christians that just got saved and they're Gentiles and they just got back to Antioch and they're saying, these, these are Gentiles. The door is open by God. It's amazing. Praise Jesus. And these guys come down and they start preaching to these guys that just got saved that are Gentiles. You gotta be circumcised. You can't mow your lawn on Sunday. You can't use drugs. You can't have sex. You can't chew. You can't blah, 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 blah. People won't want to chew and smoke and drink and have sex and cuss and live a vulgar life once you tell them how much Jesus loves them and their, their heart changes. They accept Jesus and they're transformed. What it made me think of was a situation at our past church where Men that had no interest in God. They weren't there leading people to Christ. As pastor said, they weren't there planting the shrubs and doing the things to make the church grow. They weren't up in the middle of the night counseling with broken marriages. And even for me, I'm thinking, you didn't call and text these college-age kids who were so far from God every single night and go out with them and pray with them and talk to them about how they can't overcome their struggles and, and, and just be a blessing to them nonstop. And then, bam, you spread a bunch of stupid lies about non-essential things and they're gone for good. Yeah. No, is what I say. Because Christ would say, get behind me, Satan. If you want to confuse my sheep, I'll smack you with my rod. I will remove you from the situation. Don't think God won't take you out when you're the one causing dissension. Oh, buddy, they were in sharp dispute. We get in such, I just want to say this, we get in such sharp dispute about Hillary's a liar and Trump's going to change America and Ted Cruz, well, for all you cruisers, he just endorsed Trump. So, on that one. You know what I honestly think? That a majority of politicians are all the same. If they know that their career is not going to be advanced, they'll endorse Satan himself. We need to focus on Jesus, not Trump. Whether Trump actually became a Christian or whether Trump is actually really a good guy or not, there's a better chance that he's going to actually stand for things that we stand for. We don't have much of a choice. Do we want another Barack Obama? 
passing laws left and right, just on his own, his own executive order. We need to take salvation serious. It's the only thing worth fighting for. It is the only thing worth fighting for. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Do you get that? Hold on. You love Love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And, and But hold on now. And live. God actually, you can think you're living. You could think you've been living. But you're not really living. Sometimes you can go through life and taste eternity. When you get caught up in the spirit of God. You know, I can tell you the only people who really worship on Sunday mornings are the ones who worship during the week. All alone with Jesus. They're the ones that put the headphones in and just sing at the top of their lungs, even if they're off pitch. They're the ones that just, they believe it passionately and they actually take time to think, I have to be alone with God. You know, every time I preach or speak, I know that I have to be alone with God or I should not even waste my time. I should just text, text everybody in the college group and say, don't come tonight, I'm carnal. Don't come tonight, I didn't put any time in with God. I have nothing to offer. Nick Skippers is so worthless outside of Jesus. I'm a dead man. You're a dead man and a dead woman and a dead child and a dead grandfather and grandmother. We're dead without God. It's crazy how they actually believe that um, they actually believe that they were the administrators of the law. They were the ones that were supposed to administrate the giving of the law. I am the law is what they thought. In Isaiah 2, and I just want to paraphrase it, it actually talks about people coming to Israel, to the nation of Israel, to the peoples, and they come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let us worship your God. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion. And, and it's very easy for the Pharisees, even the Pharisees in this room, to, to distort the word of God and to try to force it into people's lives. Enforce the law. You live by the law. And just like them, their oral tradition and all the added things they put on top of the law were the things they operated on. They weren't operating on Scripture. They used Scripture to prove their oral tradition. We use Scripture to push our own agendas. We use it all the time. People, it's like Rick Warren writes books, God works for the good. God works for your good. Dot, dot, dot. It's driving me insane when people are, are preaching, God works for your good. That's a good feeling statement, but it doesn't have the second part of the statement of those who love him. He's not working for your good when you're thinking evil all day long. He's not working for your good when you're judging everyone else and you have a plank in your own eye, right? How are we going to reach the world? That's my question. Who have you reached this week? Who have you talked to about whether they're saved? Who have you prayed with? Don't fall asleep on me, okay? I'll come up there and smack you with a microphone. I will. All-conference linebacker. I'm still fast. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm kind of falling apart, but too much jackhammering. But who are we reaching? Who are we actually reaching? Who are you reaching? 
Do you know that revival spreads in China because they have a one-person-to-one-person evangelism approach? We have a, we got a couple pastors and a few people that really care about lost souls, and then we have a few hundred people that just sit there. I, I'm, I'm keeping the, the fabric on the seat warm. I mean, I let one rip, it kind of stinks, but... <laughs> All the legalists never talk about that in church. Seriously, what are you doing? What are you actually doing? Moses actually said it on Monday night. Now, I won't say all the words he said. <laughs> if you were there, you know, he's like, these guys are working their butts off to make this place happen. And like seven guys showed up. He didn't know that on Tuesday night the first week, only like three guys showed up. Oh, yeah. we don't like that. We got obligations. Yeah, that's what the people who didn't follow Christ in the New Testament said. I got to lay my head somewhere. I got to go bury the dead. I, gotta, I bought a piece of property. I got to build a house. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to, I got to, I got to. What if Jesus returns now? I got to go somewhere else. You might not even go. He's going to come in the twinkling of an eye, boom, like a thief in the night. You better be knowing that you are really loving Jesus in your daily life. Some of you have actually texted me in the past weeks and said, I'm depressed and I can't handle this. Don't give up now. God's got you on a journey and it's not over. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. See people come into the kingdom. Don't get caught up in the non-essential things. We get caught up in such stupidity. I close with this passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. A lot of stuff I didn't get to, but I want you to think about this. Starting in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, to win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some, just a few. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, not that I may, that I may share in its blessings, not that I may share in the blessings of the world, in the blessings of Christ. Who's going to thank you when you get to heaven? Anybody? I become all things. You know that how hard it is to get out of your comfort zone and become all things. You know how hard it is to go into the rough, tough world and actually be the compassionate person. People are thinking, what is he, gay? No, I really do believe that God wants me to show love to you so you'll learn what real love is, not this macho man love. I walked up to the party last night and there's this shorter guy that's been friends with my brothers for years. He's probably like 35 and he's like, Holy cow, he doesn't see me in like 10 years. You've really grown up. I'm thinking, not in the way you think. You think my stature's changed and I'm tall and I'm whatever and I look more mature. I'm not that much more mature. Most of you know that. 
No, but I have the spirit of God inside of me. And the only thing I really care about right now is just sharing that with you. I want people to know that Jesus is real. You know, I was thinking about this stupid proselytization that they're doing. Churches are doing this all over the place. I see churches baptizing people and they get up there and I've loved the Lord all my life. I'm so proud I gave, made my statement today that I've, loved, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. You got to be reborn. It was common growing up for me to get, people get pressured at a certain age. You're going to make your profession of faith. Yeah, we've got to get that over with so everyone knows that you're a good Christian boy. I got drunk last night. I'm not stopping getting drunk. I like it. Why are you making me go up in front of the church and say I love Jesus when I love beer? Come on. Get a grip, people. I was high last night. Like, we lost our, we were 6-0 and we lost. I went and smoked weed. I'm sorry. I was depressed. I was like, dang it. I thought we were going undefeated. Like, I'm not, I have no focus on Christ. And you're going to march me up there. I do believe in the Lord. A lot. His love inside my heart is a lot too, so don't ever question me. We got to stop. Don't try to make people into your image. Let people come in, feel the love of Christ, and be transformed into the image of his son. Be like Jesus, and they'll want what you have. You change first and see if others won't change. The more I change, the more tender-hearted I am. The more people that are tough, they just don't even know what to do. Like, and then they go home. I guarantee you it was not so much that my brother didn't want to say, because he texted me the next day, the next night after work. He's not a big texter, and he said, Hey, Nick, I just wanted to say thank you so much for holding me accountable because I am a Christian, and I do not want to say things like that because I want to glorify God. And I just thought... Thank you, God, because I was praying, God, please make him respond. I don't want to get in a fist fight. I don't want... <laughs> he's, he's still stronger than me. Like, 